Well, before we begin, I'm going to ask you to stand. Okay, so you need to stand. This is partially to get the blood back in your body, so as you listen. It's also, I want you to do one thing. I want you to think of this for a second. Would you rather be pushed out of the nest or freely jump? Would you rather be pushed out of the nest or freely jump? Now, this isn't a tough thing. It won't take a long time to talk about it. Just two words, you know, freely jump or, or, or be pushed. So turn to someone if you feel comfortable. If you don't, just, you know, kind of just look like this and tell them what you think. Okay. Okay, that's, you know, you don't, it, you, this didn't require an explanation. Okay, but so you, thank you. You may be seated. You did really wonderful. Thank you. Let's just bow our heads in prayer, would we? Father, would you teach us when you come alongside us and you've been prompting us and you want us to move in a certain situation? Or, um, God, thank you that you're gracious that you don't just kind of let us go, that sometimes you will push us and use pain to move us into the places to fulfill your purposes in a greater way and your purposes in our own individual way. Well, you will push us at times through pain as a, as a community of people to move into the purposes. But God, our desire as a body is to, is to hear the promptings and as we feel the nudge of your spirit move into it. So do, do that. Teach us this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, love that costs everything is what we're talking about. And last week, some of you who were here got to hear Pastor Steve Curry who is uh, an, an Arab Christian pastor who has churches in both Bethlehem and Jerusalem and seven other ministries. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that, I really encourage you to pick up, um, either go to the website or iTunes and, and, and look for that message and listen to it. It's challenging. Um, we were challenged as a congregation because he shared about how he and his congregation is, are reaching out to their Palestinian Muslim brothers there and sisters. And then he shared about how they're also beginning Beginning to build inroads with some of the um, like Orthodox Jewish rabbis and others. And, and as a result of that, because of the love that they have in their heart to tell about this incredible person, Jesus Christ, who came to express his love so that we could have a relationship with God, our father. This love that cost them everything, they've experienced great persecution. He had an uncle who was killed for his faith um, he had a young lady who he had led to the Lord and began to work with, who as a result of that was also lost her life. And you kind of go, that's happening? And it does. And they're willing to do whatever they needed to do at the risk of their lives to let people know about the greatest thing that any of us could ever share. And that's that there's this God who loves us and is gracious to us and, 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 and takes the things we've done wrong and, and put it on his own back so that on a cross he would take all our sin and punishment and the, and the hell that each of us deserve he took on his back so that we could have life with him. You know, Jesus Christ stood before his disciples after he had died upon the cross. A love that cost him everything. Left heaven, came in this form of a man who was both God and man was ridiculed and insulted and beat and whipped and mocked and humiliated. He had thorns crushed on his head or among his brow. He had nails driven into his hands and his feet. His body was actually thrust in the air on this wooden beam as he hung on that cross. Someone took a spear and jammed it into his side to make sure that he was dead. And there he, gasping for air, suffocated and gave up his spirit. Because he had a love for you and me that cost him everything. 
He came to fulfill the purposes of his father in every way. And those purposes that he fulfilled has made all the difference in my life and in many of your lives. And some of you have never experienced this incredible love of God. If you're kind of checking it out, we just say it's the greatest thing that you'll ever know. And so some 40 days after this expression of incredible love that Jesus had expressed to all people to be recorded in his word. Moments prior to his leaving this earth in what is called the ascension, he charged his followers. He gathered them around him and he said, I want you to go out and give your lives in such a way that your love will cost everything. And so as you read in Acts chapter 1, you see this great charge, this commission in a sense, where he's calling to, he's talking to his disciples, and and they gathered around him, and it says, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They had expected the king to come and to set up this political kingdom. And and one of the things we even need to realize, and I said it in that series, oh, I'll get into it, I won't go down there. Anyway, He didn't set up the political kingdom. He came to rule in the hearts of people because he knew that external laws could only curb behavior. But he also knew this, that the law that would come from the Spirit of God that you would invite in your heart would give you this eternal desire to do what God wanted. And in doing what God wanted, you'd fulfill the law perfectly. Not that we don't fail. And so he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. Verse 7 the Father set by His own authority. Even Jesus said, I don't know the exact time that, that this, this internal kingdom that I've been setting up here now will someday become this external kingdom where heaven will be brought to earth. In reality, all sin removed. He says, but I want you to know this, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Not that I'd like you to be my witnesses, that you may have the opportunity to be witnesses. If you're a follower of Jesus, wherever you're at, you're a witness. You're a witness to one thing or another. But he says, you will be my witnesses. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. He kind of lays out the plan for how this is going to work. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And then I want you to the ends of the earth. I want all people to know as you live this life through your love that will cost everything to touch the hearts of others. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. There's two questions I want to kind of present to you this morning that I want you to think through. And the first one is this. Would you rather be pushed or nudged? What we kind of started out with. Would you rather be pushed through pain to move into the places that God is opening up for you, to move into the places where he wants to form your character to be the kind of person that you're to be? Because all this life is about a preparation for next life. We get so caught up in this life here. It's all about God doing the kind of things within us to make us like his son, Jesus. And in that process, he has a purpose for you to fulfill. And so in a sense, you can be pushed through pain or you can begin to open your heart and begin to be nudged by the promptings of the spirit and, and begin to move into these things. No one does it perfectly. Thank God he's gracious. But there is that question. Would we as a church rather be pushed through pain to fulfill the calling that God has on this church? Or would we rather hear the promptings of the spirit and his leadership and as a body say, let's move into it? And the second question is this. How do we create that kind of a risky culture within our body? How do you create that kind of culture within your own character? That is willing to to take the risk to follow the promptings of the Spirit of God. 
So first, what I wanted to do is look at the story from Acts 1 through 8, and we're going to do kind of a high level, kind of um, flying over it, and I'm going to give you the kind of the major thing that's happening. There's a whole lot of stuff. But we're going to ask this question as we go through Acts 1 through 8, would you rather be pushed or nudged? And then we're going to look at the end of it, that question about how do we create this culture, what are the implications of what we just read in Acts 1 through 8? And the theme is really quite simple that sets up this book of Acts in the first chapter. And it, and it actually goes back into some of the Gospels. You, you can see kind of as the Gospels end, it kind of begins to set up what's supposed to happen next. And the theme is really pretty simple. Give all, risk all, love all people with the truth and love of Jesus. Interact in such a way that your life and the love that you have as you make the sacrifices and step into their lives and into the lives of others makes a difference because your life is now given to point to God the Father. Give all, risk all, and love all people with the truth and love of Jesus. This message Jesus said was to go to the nations. It was to go to those who are near and then to go to those who are far. So Matthew 28, a chapter that some of you, if you've been in church a long time, have heard. Verses 18 through 20, it's, it's the Great Commission. And I'm going to read it from the message because I, I want to read it from a different version so that you can hear it differently. Jesus, undeterred, it says in verse 18, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me, says Jesus, to commission you. So he's looking at the 12 disciples and a whole group of others who are on the, I think, uh, following him at this point. I don't know if this is right before the ascension, because I'm like Jesus would do. He'd preach the same message a few different times. He was an itinerant preacher. So he he would go in an area and there would be new people. and he'd, He'd share it. So here it is. One of the times he says this great commission, he says, go out and train everyone you meet. So in your going is the actual word. I want you to make disciples, which means that you're to go and you're also to allow your life and your love to begin to form the life of others around you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. And remember in the book of Acts, those who were calling, they weren't called Christians to begin with, they were called people of the way. They were, these are people who, did, who followed the way of Jesus. Sometimes that's helpful to go, oh yeah, I'm not evangelical or Protestant. What if you were just to say, how did Jesus live? I want to live that way. Wouldn't it be cool if people started saying, you know, this person follows the way of Jesus at work, if someone said that. Well, that's what they're saying then. Marking them, he says, by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to this, to do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Luke chapter 24, some people don't realize this, but Luke is the writer of this gospel. He's also the writer of Acts. So when he comes to the end of, 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 of this gospel of Luke, you, you show, he shows Jesus as he's walking with a couple of his followers, not disciples, apostles, but a couple of the followers of Jesus who are really bummed out because all they know about is that Jesus died on the cross. This person who has come is no longer with them. They don't know about the resurrection, so they're on their way back. And Jesus is walking with them. They don't see him and understand him. They don't have eyes yet to see who this risen Savior is. And Jesus, it says, he went on to open their understanding of the Word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. He said, you can see now how it is written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead, and on the third day, and then a total life change through the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed in his name, catches to all nations, starting from here, from Jerusalem. You're the first to hear it and see it. You're the witnesses. 
What comes next is very important. He says to him, I am sending what my father promised you, the Holy Spirit. So stay here in the city until you rise, until you are equipped with power from on high. So now in Luke, the end of the gospel, he begins and he, he, stare, he shares the story of Acts. When Acts is called the Acts of the Disciples or Apostles, it really should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. He's the hero of the whole book. And so you, 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 you come into Acts in chapter 1. He says what we just read a few moments ago when I started the series in this sermon here. He, he says, Luke writes, you will receive power. So he's following up what he says in the gospel when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And Jesus tells him, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's kind of the outline of the book of Acts. Now, I love how this story unfolds because I want to kind of take you on a, a ride with me on this story. OK, we come to Acts 2. Acts 1 sets it up. They're waiting. They're praying. They're in the upper room. Acts 2 begins. It tells us that it's the Feast of Pentecost. And you may not realize it, but the Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament was the feast that celebrated the giving of the law. The law of Moses years ago. They were celebrating the feast. Isn't it interesting that they would be celebrating the giving of the law of Moses that was given to, to, to kind of show people that they were sinners? It was, it was a law that was to, to conform behavior. So now he gives you no longer a law as in the Old Testament. He sends his spirit who gives the law and that law is written in our hearts and that law is the law of love and that law of love as you begin to know him and grow in him begins to control you, conform you and transform you so that you begin to fulfill the perfect love of God. And so on Acts 2, you see this, that this Holy Spirit comes and all these people are gathered from all the nations for this celebration. Holy Spirit comes upon him and it's a great chapter. They hear the sound of an earthquake. It's like the rushing of a wind. It's like a train going by. They didn't have trains there, but imagine like a train going by. And they're filled with the Spirit. They go out and they start speaking in other tongues. And those tongues that they're speaking in are the same tongues that are heard by people from all these different nations. And they, they're, they're, they're aware God's doing something huge. And so Peter boldly stands up and begins to preach. In verse 17, it says Peter stands to get their attention. Chapter 217, and he quotes the Old Testament. And he says, guess what, folks? When the law was given to Moses, there was a promise in the Old Testament also that the, law, that the Spirit of God would come with a law written in people's hearts. And he says, quoting the prophet Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit, catch this, on all people. And then in verse 39, Peter ends his message. He called to repentance. He, called, he says, receive the forgiveness that comes to Jesus Christ. Even though you as a people and as the Romans and all of them put you know, Christ on the cross, he says, receive the forgiveness of sins and then also this gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this promise is for you and your children. Now catch this again. And for all who are far off. Verse 41, with many other words, Peter pleaded with them and he warned them. So the verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number in that day. Isn't that amazing? Then you go to chapters 3 and 4 and you get the story of Peter and John as they're sharing their faith. They're going around loving people. They heal a person and, and, and the religious leaders still of that day who didn't like what Jesus was doing, didn't want to lose their power, get upset with Peter and John. They throw him to prison. There's, there's this, this uh, distress occurring in the community. And then we read that as, they are, um, as God works, listen to verses 1 through 4. 
The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees were greatly disturbed. They seized Peter and John. They keep thinking that if you just kind of shut people up and put them in prison, it's going to stop. Well, they put them in jail, but many who heard the message believed. Listen to this. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So let's just imagine they have a wife, at least some of them, and some kids. This is getting to be a pretty big movement right now. So then as you go on in Acts chapter 5, you see these incredible stories of the miraculous signs and wonders that point to God that are occurring and people meeting daily in the temple area, sharing about Jesus and, 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 and loving people even though they're being persecuted or they're being mocked. And in verse 14, listen to what it says. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. It's still growing. Jesus said, go out and reach Jerusalem. Go out and tell people about me. Go out and love people into this relationship with my Father in heaven. Let them know that I've forgiven them, that they can come into His presence and begin to experience His promise of the Spirit of God to begin to transform their lives. Let them know, and it's happening. So then you go to Acts chapter 6, and and there's this great, huge move of God happening within the people, within the city of Jerusalem. And people who are wealthy are coming in. They're selling their land, and they're giving it to the apostles and to the other followers of Jesus and asking them to distribute it to the poor within their their community. There's this this work where there's this common oneness that we we are going to suffer with one another. We are going to experience joys with one another. And God's in his great work. And then verse 7, listen to what it says. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. It's just continuing to grow. And then, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I think that's an interesting thing that he puts in there. And when I, when I was reading that, it just hit me. Little did the priests know that in 40 years they'd be out of a job. Because in 40 years, the temple would be destroyed by Rome and there would be no place for priests to work. Isn't it interesting, as I was thinking about this, that, 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 that God comes through Jesus and these people are, are sharing about Jesus and they're loving these people and the priests begin to feel the promptings of God to follow Jesus. They go ahead and they, they decide to follow Jesus. And, and God is preparing them for their ability to be priests even when there's not a temple. And Jesus was clear, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in, a, in, in the way of life, of my way of life. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they're doing this incredible job, and the church is growing. It's growing in love. Miraculous signs and wonders are occurring, and people are caught up in what's happening in Jerusalem, but they've forgotten the mission. They forgot that they were called to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And with all the success, you know how that can happen sometimes? Things are really good and you get really comfortable. It's really familiar. This is really a good place we're in. You just forget about what Jesus said. You know, I called you not just to reach Jerusalem, but I also want you, when you begin to do this, to go out and you're to go to Judea and to your cousins. and, And then you're supposed to go to those kind of half cousins you don't really like in Samaria. And then you're supposed to go to those people, you, you know, they're just a bunch of pagans. You're not supposed, you know, those Gentiles. I want you to go there. You know, it's amazing that, it, that the word of God, when you read the Old Testament, it was very clear that the Old Testament pointed to this. And yet they were enjoying themselves so much in Jerusalem. And you know what's really interesting is they forgot the mission, but God didn't. 
God never forgets what he wants to do in your own life. You may get caught up in the success of business. You may get caught up in the success of, of in, in the joy of raising a family. You may get caught up in a lot of things, but you know what? God has a purpose for you. God wants you to grow in character. It's all about knowing Him and growing in Him and allowing. And He loves for you to enjoy these things of your family and your business and all these other things. But God is about something in your life, and God is about something in this church. And what so happens in people's lives and what happens in churches is that we get so caught up in what's familiar. We get caught up in our own success in the sense that we. Forget the mission. And we may, may forget, but God doesn't. Numbers twenty three nineteen, a great verse says, God is not a mere human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God will do what he purposed. He loves us so much. He loves his church so much that at times, even when we get caught up in our familiar, comfortable ways, he will actually use some pain to push us out to do the things he's called us to do. That's what I think is interesting, because if you go on and you read here, you read in Acts chapter eight, verse one. They're stuck in Jerusalem. They're having a hard time leaving the nest. And it says in verse one, so you get Acts one, eight. You can remember that is kind of the plan, the mission, purpose. Acts 8.1, God's gone, you guys forgot, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. God allowed a great persecution to break out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, except the apostles, we won't go into why, but all were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Isn't that interesting? The two places they hadn't gone yet. Doesn't push them to the ends of the earth yet. Just says, I just want, you know, the way God often works with us out of our comfort zones is he doesn't, you know, he says, if he wants us there, he doesn't push us there all the way. He usually pushes us step by step. I'm going to get you to take some, you might want to think about this when God is beginning to work in your life and the promptings are so that he doesn't have to push you out there, that you can take the step, whatever it may be. And so God pushes them out through pain. You read in verse four, those who had been scattered I'm grateful for this. Their faithfulness preached the word wherever they went. I want you in your going to make disciples. So everywhere you go, when you go into the grocery store, when you go over there to get gas at the gas station, when you're over there at your country club, when you're over there in your high school around with other parents, the opportunities, not that you preach, you've got to speak it all the time, opportunities to love people the way that Jesus loved will be there for you. And so he calls us to do this and he makes it possible because the church was stuck and people were stuck. And not because God likes pain does he do this, but because he's committed to fulfilling his purpose of reaching everyone with the truth and love. Now, think about it for a second. We do this kind of thing all the time. You see it all the time in in, in nature as well. I saw a um, I saw a, a little video of an eagle who was ra- raising her eaglets who they were really in the comfortable, the downy feather, all the things. The nest was beautiful. Your mom was bringing food. It was great. And I see this video, and you see her pushing her little eaglet up to the side, and the thing's going out. Pushes it. I'm watching. It pushes it to the side, and then eventually just pushes it out. This thing's crying, and it's like this. Can you imagine what that's like? So you felt that, right? You've done that. My office is right next door to the nursery. And I have to tell you, we have some very, very mean parents in our church. Because I can hear sometimes there's BSF on Tuesdays and there's groups on Wednesdays. Oh, we have people all the time. they got kids here. 
you know, someone asked me, you know, they sometimes think the church only has people here on Sundays. This church is almost 24-7. It's just God's doing things a lot. So these parents, these mean parents, I'll get back to the story. They will actually take their babies and they will hand them over to a very well-trained nursery worker. And the baby will cry bloody murder. I mean, the scream of terror. You kind of go, what parent would ever let go of that child? But why do you do it? Because you know that you don't want to, at you know, 18 years of age, having this kid walking around with you everywhere. Anybody heard of failure to launch? We have kids today, and lots of them, and they, you know, they're on their electronics. They're, they're 25, 26, 27, and they're just not launching. I really believe there's a lot of people when it comes to this faith, when it comes to this relationship of growing and knowing this God who's created you, he wants you to move into places. Into, he has purposes for your life and his Holy Spirit is prompting and moving and calling you to move into things. And I think he is afraid at times of a failure to launch. We do have a will and we can choose to stand against it and oppose to it. I, churches, there are churches that, you know, this church has a call by God that he wants us to fulfill. It's unique. It's what he wants for this time and this age. Not that he hasn't before and hasn't done great things before, but he has something for this church. And he wants us not to move through being pushed through pain, but he would like for us to respond to the prompting of the spirit. I was writing this and I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be really cool? If we as a group said, Father God, we don't want you to have to push us or plead with us or allow trials and pain to move us into an obedient response to you in your ways. We would, as leaders, with every person in this place, cry out to you and say we would be sensitive. We want to pay attention to your promptings. We would rather create a culture that takes risks of faith for you. We will do it no matter what anyone else thinks. That's what God's about here. That's what, if you're kind of been coming for the last month or so, that's what we invite you to be a part of. We want God to do things in our lives. So it really comes to this question. And I want you to think about this. Where in your life right now is God, by His Holy Spirit, prompting you to take a step of faith, to step out in risk and to trust Him? What's the little step He wants you to take? Some of you know, you might feel pain right now because you're being pushed. Now, I want to share with you, not all pain that you experience is due to disobedience. I mean, there is persecution that Pastor Stephen Curry is experiencing because of obedience. In fact, you'll find that when you sometimes move into an obedient response that's risky, you will experience not necessarily the pain even from our culture, but the pain from your own Christian brothers and sisters. Because they're going to be judging you. You're going to feel the pain sometimes because you might fail. But failure is never something you end with. Failure is also... It, to, to move into failure sometimes is an opportunity for growth. So here's a question I want to just invite you to think about. How do we create a risky culture? And I'm just going to five things quickly. One is you invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life with power. And for some in evangelical churches, this is kind of like new teaching because there's kind of this fear of, well, you know, there's a group. You know what? You read through Scripture and you cannot get away from the fact that God sent Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, we were given him and his Holy Spirit in our life. But you know what? There is also our flesh. And there is a point sometimes in our lives where the flesh has to be broken so the Spirit of God can come in fullness. And you can ask him to do that. 
You may be living and have been living a very mundane, a very nominal faith. You have come to church, you have done this, but you're not alive by the power of God. The power of God is available through His Spirit. I love Luke 4, chapter 1, verse 14 as well. It says, Jesus, catch this, He was full of the Holy Spirit. He left Jordan, He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but Jesus returned to Galilee when He was ready to move into the purposes of God for His life. After the 30-some years of taking care of His family, He now moves into His calling. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the the power of the Spirit. God might be preparing you for His purposes and He might be calling you right now to say, Holy Spirit, I want you. I surrender fully, completely to you. You're surrendering fully and completely to Jesus and the Father. Because the Holy Spirit does one thing. He only exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8, He says, and wait till the Spirit comes upon you with power. Ask I think that's what they're doing in prayer. They were waiting and they were saying, come. You told us you're going to come. Secondly, examine mindsets that prevent risk. You need to. So often in our faith, we read scripture through our own cultural eyes. We read it sometimes through the church's eyes that we grow up into. We, we put on with these glasses that create mindsets. Um, how could they, Old Testament Jews, if you read through Isaiah and you read through some of the latter prophets and you read through other places in scripture, how could they not know that God was coming for the Gentiles? How could they not understand that to Samaria and to the ends of the earth he was going? Except for this. They had a mindset, a partition built in their mind that separated them from other people. There is not a person in this world that God doesn't want to save and redeem and to bring into his love. And so you got to look at that. Where are you putting up partitions that keep you from reaching out, from really loving someone? It may be they've hurt you and you need to experience forgiveness to be able to move into that. What are the petitions you've built in your mind? Have you put up artificial walls? The Holy Spirit, when you invite Him in, will begin to break those things down. Pay attention to what God is doing. You need to understand, you've got to look at what God is doing right around you and among you. You know, here they are. They have all these people come in from all these different nations. They have people there that are there among them, and they were told to go out. And why they don't do it, why they get pushed, is because they're so caught up in the good that's going on that they forget what God wanted to do. We do the same thing. We are so blind sometimes to the things that God is doing. I'm just going to, just as a church, I want us to think about this. Just this little thing. Last May, John Mayer of City Vision, he goes around to different cities throughout the, the country, came here and he shared these truths. And, and many people were like, it was a wake-up call of what God is doing. He told us that new immigrants arrive in America every 31 seconds. He told us that in 1975, 87% of the population was white, mostly church, and nominal Christians. 2012 today, it's about 60%. In 40 years, 2050, it will be 45%. Our nation is changing. Minneapolis is a top 10 gateway, which means people, these 31 second immigrants are coming, many of them here. This is one of the top 10 gateway cities. We have the largest concentration of Hmong and Somalis and Liberians and Karens and Anuaks and Oromos and the second largest Tibetans. We're the ninth fastest growing Asian city, the eighth fastest growing Hispanic city, the number one fastest growing sub-Saharan African city. We have the largest Chinese student population of the U.M. here. We have many that come to our church. 
We're number three for new immigrants and refugees in all the cities of the U.S. Over 50% of the immigrants now live in the suburbs. There's a rise of what's called the ethnoburbs. Wyzetta has 33 language groups. Western Little Wyzetta. Plymouth has 63 language groups. Maple Grove has 53 language groups. I wonder if God is saying, do I got to push you by pain or by the promptings to John Mayer? Will he begin to say, God, how not just our church, but the churches in the area begin to realize the mission field, which was once out there that you had to go to, is right at our doorstep. And it's changing rapidly. Look for opportunities to associate with the lost and broken. John Mayer, when he was here, he said, you can't do the prayer care share approach unless you know who they are. You have to learn and listen and get to know them. You have to reach your community. You must know your community, which means you have to walk around, drive around, look for opportunities to become friends. And they became comfortable. And, and, and they began to lose their edge. And they became familiar with what was going on? And God said, I got to step in here. I might, uh, John Orford writes in a book about um, stepping out of the boat and into the water with Peter. He, he makes a comment in there. He goes, you know what? You know what is the most to- the top selling chair in America? Lazy boy. Not risky boy. Not worker boy. God's prompting us to, you know, we can become lazy. We can become familiar. We can say, this is really nice, and it's just good to go to church. Or we can say, God, wake us up. Wake our souls to what you want us to do, individually and as a body. And then this. Not only associate with, with the lost and the broken, the marginalized, right around us and see what God is doing. But commit to follow God promptings. When God begins to prompt, say, God, how can I become more sensitive? What's interesting, if you take Acts 8 and you go, you know, Acts 8, 1 and 4, and you go for the rest of the chapter, it's all about these promptings that they begin to follow. Philip goes to Samaria. Then a little bit later, he takes a ride on an Ethiopian's chariot. And Peter visits a pagan centurion in Caesarea named Cornelius and eats pork with him. And, and it's controversial in the church. Barnabas brings Paul to Antioch. And then the church has this worship experience where a prophet, a prophetic voice speaks out and and says, you need to go to the ends of the earth. And so Paul and Barnabas begin their first mission, which leads their second and third in the world. It ends Acts. They've gone to the world. Because God needed to push. I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. And I'm also going to ask Ruth Conard if she would come. And I've asked Ruth if uh, she would share with us a story she was sharing with me about a month ago a story that she experienced, and I thought, I want you to hear this. So, Ruth, would you kind of share how God worked in your life? Well, a few weeks ago, I settled into a Panera booth to drink their smooth hazelnut coffee. It just seems like the Holy Spirit comes in. I don't... <laughs> it's called caffeine. Yeah, anyway. yeah I, don't tell me that. Okay. <laughs> and to read the Bible and journal. And I do that at least four days a week, intentionally, in Panera. But almost immediately that morning, I noticed a colorfully scarved young woman uh, with cell phone in hand, her eyes glancing all over the, the building there. And I thought, she must be waiting for some friends. And sure enough, in a few minutes, there they were, two beautifully young, burkhed, Muslim women with little children. 
And I sat there. I could see them. They were in my view. And the words I had recently written in the front of a textbook about four days before came immediately to mind. I had written, I am not special because I am a white Caucasian woman. I am only special because a loving creator intentionally chose to create me in God's image, just as God has done with every woman and every man on this earth, irregardless of ethnicity, race, or color. And I thought about the young women, even though I wanted to avoid them and get on with my coffee, my ritual. But how could I connect with them? And then almost immediately, the bridge came, the segue came. And so smiling, I got up and walked toward them. That morning, I had put on a very clunky bracelet. And I don't usually wear clunky bracelets, but this one was wide and it had all these colors. And as I approached their table, I said, wow, your babies are so beautiful. And the two-year-old little girl there took a hold of my bracelet. And I thought, I think I'm stuck. I better <laughs> think real quickly here. <laughs> so she's playing with my bracelet. And uh, they, of course, smiled back. They were very open. They spoke almost perfect English. And uh, so I said to them, so are your moms nearby? No. And one had a baby there with a band around her head with a flower on it, about three months old. And they said, no, our moms aren't here. And I said, well, I can sure identify. Uh, because uh, many years ago, I birthed my babies in another place of the world where my mom wasn't there. My sisters weren't there. Really, no woman that I had ever known in my life was there. And they said, oh, yeah. So we talked very openly about how we need a support system and how good it is to have other women around us. And we laughed together. And then I said, well, I'm an author. And they said, you are? What have you written? And I said, well, I've written one book for new moms. And they said, really? Uh, I said, I'd be glad to give you one if you want it. And they said, oh, my goodness, that would be great. Is it free? <laughs> of course it's free. And then there was a pause because in my mind I knew I could not ask them for their address. They had to offer that. But there was only a pause about that long. And one of the women said, hey, do you have an email address? Do you mind if I take it down? No. So there it went into her cell phone. I knew it was time to get back to the booth, and so... We said goodbye, and as I walked away, I heard them say, Wow, wasn't that sweet of her? I waited, I prayed. Uh, would there be any response? I had no idea. I left it in the Holy Spirit's hands because I knew inside I had obeyed. I'd taken a risk. I was kind. And so I, I had great peace. Whatever happened, I've decided that, especially in these years, I must love. Uh, I must love even if I'm not quite sure how to do that. It's too easy for me. I don't know about you. It's too easy for me to sink into a mode of fear. And then very quickly that degenerates into 
hate. And uh, I do not want to spend my days in fear and hate. I want to love my neighbor as myself to the best of my God-given, weak, and simple ability. Well, ten days later, an email arrived, and it was from Savina. And she gave me her address, her street address, and she said, Hey, Mrs. Connard, would you send me that book? So I sent it, and I put a little note in. I said, You probably realize I'm a Christian, and I hope that nothing in this book offends you, but you might like to look at one or two of the devotionals in there, the chapters in there, on Hagar, the mother of the Arabs. And also, why don't you just dwell in something that comforts you, that encourages you? Period. What will be the outcome? I have no idea. But the God who made her knows her and calls her by name. And that's enough. Our prayer is that wherever the Spirit of God is prompting you, that you would call him and say, God, awake my heart and soul and, uh, and then be obedient to him.